0: Welcome to the Journo Wave podcast from the School of Journalism, Media and Communication at the University of Sheffield. Hello, welcome to the Journo Wave podcast from the University of
1: Sheffield.
0: Woo! Yay,
1: welcome. Episode six.
0: Episode six, woohoo indeed. Uh, <laughs> lovely to have you with us. My name's Anna Jones, I'm a journalist, I'm one of the teachers in the department,
2: and I'm with... I'm Jenny Ells, I'm one of the broadcast tutors, and drum please.
1: And I'm Polly Rippon, and I teach media law and PR in the
2: department. So this is a podcast
0: all about uh, the world of journalism, issues in journalism, and also all the work we do here in the School of Journalism, Media and Communication at the University of Sheffield. So one thing that's often on your mind if you're training to be a journalist is when am I actually going to get paid to do this? What jobs are out there waiting for me? And um, you hear a lot of horror stories about the sort of media and journalism running out of cash but the reality is there are some fantastic jobs out there and uh, one thing the University of Sheffield takes really seriously is getting people ready for the world of work. So this episode of Wave, we're focusing on employability, particularly a day that we held here recently to help people understand the world of journalism work a bit better.
2: Also
1: coming up in the episode, we've got Polly. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the mock criminal court trial that we ran in the law department.
2: We'll also be chatting to Charlie Howell, who heads up Forge TV, about how he's prepping for one of the biggest events of the university calendar. And also, before we go, we've got a bit of this.
3: There was a real sort of camaraderie and, and feeling during recording that this was going to be a success. What I don't think we anticipated is that how big of success it would be.
2: We are doing an employability special in this month's episode because we had a big event. In uh, the department or the department hosted it, it was across two sites, and you two were there. We were there, yeah. yeah. yeah it was fantastic, what was it
1: like? really good, really great day. I think the students found it really useful. We had top experts from across the industry, so media, PR, communications, marketing type roles. A lot of them were former Sheffield students, so people who had done the courses, and they came in and gave our students some fantastic advice about how to get
2: into the journey industry and it was also one of the parts was in the posh hall wasn't it it was amazing do you know what it was incredible to be in
0: Firth Hall beautiful red brick building and see 16 people from the world of journalism and comms all levels of their careers but some really big hitters sitting up on the stage there all of them sharing really open advice we had people from uh, the independent from uh, BBC from ITV Daily Mail 5 News Cosmopolitan as well, and then we had some local press there as well, so BBC Sheffield, Sheffield Star, Um, and also uh, Techarati, so a little bit of kind of tech and the the, the comms world as well, South Yorkshire Police, Comms, Heat magazine. It was just, it was incredible to see all these people giving their time because they've been where our students are were or are now and they remember and they just gave the best advice um to all our students it was fantastic
2: i sent you away with the task well i sent both of you away with the task <laughs> to go out with my task cam which is uh, the the microphones that we use in the, the department i said go get as many people as you can and you you did not let me down
0: oh well you know given <laughs> given the journalism instincts are all there so uh, yes they came off stage as soon as they came off stage uh, we pounced so uh, the first person uh, is Ian McGregor the first person we spoke to was Ian McGregor yeah so uh, let's see what he had to say <laughs>
4: My name is Ian McGregor. I'm Editor Emeritus at The Telegraph, which means that I uh, work with our Future Talent programme. I oversee all our graduate recruitment and apprentice recruitment. I'm involved in various industry bodies. I used to be an editor of The Sunday Telegraph for 10 years and other organisations like Metro. Uh, I'm also chair of the advisory board at the School of Journalism.
0: So fair to say, little bit of experience in the realm of journalism and navigating a journalism career, Uh, what did you make of uh, today's panel discussion?
4: I thought it was great and I think what came through um, was the passion amongst all the panelists for the industry and how many opportunities there are and it doesn't matter whether you're strong at this or strong at that, if you really care and you really love the business you can find a path.
0: So everyone had really great advice for students trying to get into the industry What really impresses you?
4: If I'm honest, there's not one answer, but I'll give you one word for this interview and that's enthusiasm. And so if you're enthusiastic and you really want to learn and find out as much as you can and be excited about what's uh, available and take every opportunity, that counts an awful lot.
0: So we had a bit of a, a mix of a news and magazines and everything on the panel this morning and I'm here with Jess Bullman from Channel 5 News, I'm the deputy editor there. Something I really liked that you said about getting emails, so you work, you're at Channel 5 saying I'm desperate to work at the BBC. Yes. <laughs> what other mistakes do you sort of see when people are applying for jobs with you?
5: The- biggest mistake I see is people turning up or applying for a job never having seen one of our programmes. Uh, quite often they'll say your digital content which is brilliant but what we primarily do is make TV programmes and to get a full understanding of what we do you need to have watch the programme. So that's one of the biggest ones. I think one of the things you can do that's really useful is tailor your application. Think of it as an individual application and I know that's really tricky when you're applying for loads of jobs especially at the start of your career but just a couple of lines of saying why you want to come and work with us, what you like about what we do and what appeals to you. And that can make the difference between you getting through into an interview round or being kind of left on the side. Mm. I think that's the best thing I can offer in terms of advice of applying for jobs with us.
0: And when someone's made it through the door and you've given them a chance, maybe a placement or sort of a junior level job, how can they impress you in those first couple of days or weeks? Ask questions. Say hello to everybody.
5: Go and introduce yourself to the political editor. They'll be more than happy to kind of spend a few minutes with you telling you what they do, ask if you can help out in any way, can I make some calls for you, pick up a phone, that's one of my biggest pet hates. I think we're so reliant on social media these days, which is a brilliant tool, but there is no replacement for picking up a phone and having a conversation with somebody. Build your contacts books up, use opportunities in work placements and things like that to do that you know the old saying it's not what you know it's who you know still massively exists in this industry for good or bad but it does so just say hello to everybody get as much opportunity as you can out of that pitch ideas have a take opportunities to have a chat with the editor whoever because it's very rare somebody will turn you away so just take every single opportunity you possibly can
0: I think people are often quite worried about looking like a fool, or looking like making make, make fool themselves, looking like an idiot, uh, being laughed at, kind of by newsrooms. Now, I worked in newsrooms for years. We just never mocked people who were learning. Would you say that's the correct the case? I would say that's definitely the
5: case. One of the best pieces of advice I got when I was at university is, "No question is a stupid question." And while there are stupid questions, on the whole, that does ring true because if you were thinking something. Quite possibly other people in the room are thinking that, and you never know what that thing you're saying might lead to. I say it all the time to my team even now, I'll say, okay, I'm just gonna say this out loud, and it could be the most bonkers thing, that, and they'll all look at me strangely, and it's like, but you don't know what idea that might lead to and where you might go with that. And I know news can often be seen as kind of quite serious, but there's a creative process there in any medium, whether it's newspapers, radio, TV, whatever, there is a creative process there. And so speak up, say whatever it is in your mind, and some of the most successful people we've had come through work experience and entry-level jobs have done that and not been afraid, because if what, well, even if you do look silly for five minutes, nobody's going to remember half an hour later. So
0: there's no jeopardy there, and nobody, as you said, is going to make you look like a fool. Newsrooms are obviously desperate to get young audiences as well. I know this from working at the BBC. It was just obsession with how can we get younger people engaging in our content? So what can... Our kind of graduates, who are the audience that these newsrooms that want, that Channel 5 wants, what should they be saying in meetings that would make people go, this person's worth having? Again, it's just ideas. So, say you're talking about a story, I don't know, about the
5: NHS, and for the types of audiences that we have, you know, TV especially, is an older audience. But yeah, you're right, there is that real drive to attract a younger audience. So I'm thinking about Brenda in Scunthorpe, and she's thinking about a hip operation. But as somebody who comes in who's in their early 20s, what is it about you and your friends are concerned about with the NHS? I don't know what it is, because I'm not young and 20. But what is it that you're looking for and what you're thinking about and your concerns? Because... What we do is try and reflect that the audience that we're pitching to. So I'm thinking Brenda. So what? I'm, what is, I don't know, Danny and Bolton thinking and who's 22? And if you can come to me and say that's what we need to think about as well, then if what your output is reflecting is both of those Danny and Brenda, then you're going to get those people watching the programme as well. So any type of diversity in age, ethnicity, gender, anything, that's really important because you want to appeal to all those different subcategories around the country and if you've got a workforce that reflects that then you're gonna get those people watching. Jess thank
0: you so much that was great thank you. I'm here now with Catherine Batty from the Daily Mail.
6: Sonia Twig from The Independent.
0: So our students are really keen to get into sport. Sonia you had some some good advice for people who love football, want to do sport reporting, how can they kind of get into quite a crowded field?
6: Well, I think 90% of sport that any newspaper does is football. Most jobs in sports journalism are football. I think even if you have another interest, you need to be able to do football alongside of it. But I think women's football is a really good way into like getting that first step in the door and making that first move because not as many people are interested in it and have the knowledge in it. But a lot of newspapers are trying to tap into that market. But I think With football it's good to have something else because, so I know someone who does quite well for us, he likes football but his main interest is sort of boxing and MMA and actually that's what is a massive growing part of our industry at the moment.
0: You cover football but you're sort of a cricket enthusiast as well so can you tell us a little bit about how your career unfolded?
6: Yes, so I I was doing a lot of football, I was um, covering the Premier League in London um, for my last job at PA and... They didn't really do that much cricket, but I was interested in doing it. So they let me do the women's cricket, um, which I loved and I still do quite a bit of to this day. And then from that moved slowly into doing more and more men's cricket until I was sent on a cricket tour um, in 2022, which was amazing. Uh, Got to be in Pakistan for a month and then I moved jobs and got to cover all of the ashes. So I've sort of carved out that niche for myself because not as many people do have that cricket knowledge Um, and especially that experience of going on tour is is quite rare.
0: So choosing something a little bit less demanding means you get more doors opening to you essentially.
6: Yes, absolutely. I think I wouldn't have necessarily got this job at the independent if I hadn't pushed for cricket and my last job. And I think always being open to it like, people might be a bit daunted about the idea of going to Pakistan as a 27 year old woman on their own but actually it was fine and you've just got to grasp the, these opportunities when they come up Catherine you're covering my right women's sports women's football for the Daily Mail
7: yes women's football I've been doing that for the last three years or so I'm doing a bit of men's football now as well so branching out to cover West Ham going forward so uh, yeah lots of football so what's your advice if somebody gets their dream opportunity to cover football You've just got to uh, honestly, like, look for the stories. As he was talking about news sense earlier, tell those stories that perhaps haven't been told already. Um, it's really difficult in football because it feels like every single story's already been told. But I can like, honestly say that, like, there's so many people out there with interesting stories. Maybe further down a pyramid, women's football is a great place to find stories that haven't been told um, as widely as, as some of the other, like, higher end football players. And, and non-league clubs is a great place to go as well. There's some great stories in non-league. Some some great kind of personalities and even people that started their careers like playing at the top level and are now managing in non-league and, and I always feel like they're sometimes a bit more grateful if you go and speak to them because there's less kind of publicity around them so sometimes they'll give you an hour of their time whereas if you're covering a championship or a Premier League club you may be limited to 15 minutes or even less less time so go to those clubs that aren't getting sometimes always getting the publicity and just just make, make new contacts and, and yeah just sort of throw yourself into it really.
0: You're talking about using your own social media as well so if you're going to something, shout about it on social, cover it.
7: Yeah, just tell everyone. Um, it doesn't matter kind of what traction you get at the start. If you're going to something regularly, people recognise, oh, they're there every week, they know what's going on, they're the person to follow if I want to know about what's going on there. People see that you're, as you say, making a name for yourself on social media. It can help get a foot in the door in, into places as well. Thank you so much. I'm sure your advice will have really helped a few careers today. So thank you very much.
0: Cheers.
8: Simon Frobson from Sky News.
0: So Simon, you are working in a really, really busy, hectic newsroom. What do you want to see people doing? If you hire somebody fresh to journalism early in their career, what do you want them to be doing in those early days?
8: I want to see them come in and really learn. I think one of the most important things, and I did this when I was first starting out, when you submit something for subbing or, you know, a script, whatever it is, um, you know, any kind of sequence, any kind of work that you've been commissioned, when, you, when it comes back to you from a senior editor, don't get upset if it's been changed, torn apart, turned around. Look at it and think that is the best way to write it. You know, don't take, um, you know, editing from a senior person as a, any kind of insult. Everyone's just trying to get the best product. So I think the best way I ever learned was looking at what senior people did to my work and then remembering that's the best way to tell a story and understanding the best ways to tell a story especially in tv
0: early career people are often moving around a lot so getting different placements would you say people are doing having to do that every time they move
8: what relearn yeah. do say, um, i don't know I mean, it depends i guess um if you're moving around in tv jobs those skills are immediately transferable and i think any kind of broadcast environment as well if you come from radio like i did into television you know a lot of those writing skills come come with the job but i think. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to then move into maybe even an online service or um, if you're going to print or newspapers, I think, uh, yeah, you have to then relearn and and have that patience again. I think one of the key things about learning is always having the patience to keep learning because I find it can be frustrating. You know, why don't I know this? I think you just have to take a step back and think, right, I'm learning again. I'm learning a new thing again. And no one ever really finishes learning. I think I made the point when we were talking in the panel earlier about... um, Uh, new sense and how it evolves and it has to evolve um, because knowing your audience your new sense has to change with that
0: and what's the one thing on a cv or a job application that makes you move it to the yes pile
8: that's a really good question
0: (laughs) it's good that that's a hard question to answer actually yeah yeah
8: yeah i guess you know to me i find that experience is the most important thing and don't be discouraged if you don't have a lot of experience yet but experience really speaks on a cv um, I think in education obviously is key as well, but when you know someone has been in a newsroom and has experienced that environment, it jumps out, absolutely.
1: You're listening to the Journey Wave Podcast.
2: Okay, so that was the thoughts, tips and techniques. Such great wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lovely to hear. from our uh, employers who were there on the day. But usually in this podcast, we aim to try and speak to uh, one of the members of staff who work within the de- department of the school, and that could be someone who does teaching practice uh, or it could be one of our academic staffs. Now, we've done a kind of slightly different skew uh, for this month's episode because we actually spoke to one of the employabilities, well, I say the royal week it was you actually Polly who did you chat to?
1: (laughs) I did yeah so I spoke to Sarah Bowes and she um, works for the university's central employability team she's the faculty lead and the university has got strategic priorities and one of those is getting our students into employment after they leave so it's about how employable they are after they leave the University of Sheffield.
9: We recognise that for a lot of students they might have picked the subject because they love it but also at the back of their mind is what am I going to do afterwards and I know it's a question you probably get asked an awful lot by parents or relatives it's a question that students come in and ask us on a one-to-one basis what am I going to do with my degree so the reason why it's so important for the university is we want to support you to make the decisions to decide what it is you're going to do and I was talking to a student actually earlier during the lunch break and she was asking me the question and she was saying I don't know what's right to to do when I graduate and I just posed the question back to her say there's no right or wrong when it comes to your career If you talk to your tutors, I'm sure some of them have gone off and done one area of journalism and moved into another one because actually they found that there was a strength that they had that they hadn't realised or was a preference. So a lot of the time it's about identifying what you're good at and how you can use that to identify opportunities for career development, um, and it's not—no one has a straight linear career path anymore. People go off and do lots of different things, so the university is an opportunity to go off and try some of those things. So you get lots of things in your degree program at the, in journalism, but also there's the—you know—there's the Forge TV. There's lots of opportunities to go and get. Work experience, find out what area of journalism you like, what area you don't like, um, or even maybe go into something completely different. And that's what the university is about. There's so many opportunities, and my one piece of advice to students is I know you hate it, but check your emails. Because that's how you find out about opportunities. It's what it's like in the world of work. We all get lots of emails. Students often say they miss out on things. Is if you keep on top of your emails, you'll find out about opportunities to work for a local charity you'll find out about other events like this networking event if you keep on top of your emails there'll be so many things you can get involved in to help you decide what it is you're going to go and do.
1: I think that's a really good point as well about none of us having a linear career path and knowing exactly what we do what we want to do and people fall into career paths and you know I think it's really important that we we ensure students understand that you know there's no rule that says you have to know exactly what you want to do and where you went want to end up.
9: Absolutely. So very few people are really sure they want to go on and do and they get their first job they apply for. We've all had knockbacks, we've all thought we wanted to do a particular job and gone and done it and thought maybe it's not quite right for me. The thing that you can do, the takeaway point is just always be asking yourself, am I enjoying it? Am I good at it? And then thinking, well, if I'm not enjoying it, why is it I'm not enjoying it? Is there a particular element of it I don't like? Again, I'm not a journalist, so I don't know enough about the different types, but you might be someone who finds it really hard actually to uh, talk to people, you know, off the cuff. So, maybe something more around the research side might be more, you know, or might be more production side for you. That's fine. Not everyone has to be good at everything. So, it's identifying what you're good at and you enjoy at, and then thinking, well, how can I apply that? And talking to people, that's the best thing you can do is talk to people. How did you get to where you are today? How did you find out what you're good at? And often people have found as they've gone along. So, it's that reflection, thinking about, and we don't all do it, and you don't do it every day. No one reflects every day, but it's just taking, you know, opportunities like today to think, well, what what have I enjoyed what module have I enjoyed this semester, for example? Um why have I enjoyed it? Is it because I find it easy? Is it because I find it enjoyable? Does, asking yourself those questions will make it so much easier when you come to decide because there are lots of options out there.
10: I'm Joe and I am on the Masters Journalism course. It's been really nice having people in the industry come in and talk to us especially with such a range from all across you know we've got people from sports, people local news, people on national news um, which has been really useful and I think that's nice because it kind of reflects who's on the course as well. We've got people who want to go into all sorts of different things um, so to have that sort of range. Uh, encompassed it's been really nice yeah and everyone's had some really really great advice and tips obviously for us it's the very start of our journey so it's really great to hear from people who have been in our shoes and done what we're doing and just telling us about how we get into their shoes which is a a nice way to sort of find out how we can progress
1: have you got any ideas or did you get any ideas from today about what you want to do or is it still a bit too early
10: i kind of like to think that i'm still trying to figure it out (laughs) um but it has been nice sort of Getting people with a bit more niche experience than just... You hear the word journalist and so, that can be anything. And it's nice to have people who are in those more niche uh, environments and sort of backgrounds telling you about what they do because it does help to narrow it down. It does help you to start thinking about the next steps. So, yeah, I found that really useful today.
1: And what do you think was a top tip from this morning or something that you took away with you?
10: That would be sort of just to throw yourself into everything. But somebody commented about if you are offered to go and do something that's out your comfort zone, just go and do it. Like if, if I was... Interning or something, and they asked me to go and do fashion. It's not something I know about, but to go and do it anyway because it gives you that experience, it gives you something, another feather in your bow, and stuff like that. So I think that was really useful to know.
2: If you want to get in touch, email journowave at sheffield.ac.uk. That was Sarah Bowes there from the university's central employability team. And one thing that she mentioned in her chat with Polly was to get that kind of experience while you're here in the university or on the university campus to get involved with things like Forge. So Forge is our student press. So they have uh, radio, TV, and they also have print, actual physical newspaper that they produce as well. And I managed to call her the wonderful Charlie Howell who heads up the Forge TV part of the operations because they have got something massive coming up this month, which is of course, Varsity. So if you're listening from outside of Sheffield, this is a little bit more about what it's all about. Varsity is a competition between the two Sheffield unis.
6: It's one of the biggest intercity sporting events in Europe. The first tournament was in 1997. This year, after a brief break
11: from COVID, we're on the 26th year of Varsity. I am Charlie. I'm a third year undergraduate journalism student, but I'm also the station manager of Forge TV, the University of Sheffield's in-house TV station, and have been involved in Forge for about the entire time I've been at university. I oversee a committee of 18 people, which is the largest committee Forge have had since the pandemic. And then from that, also a volunteer base of about 100 to 120 volunteers that come and help us on various projects, from live streaming. Events like Varsity, which is coming up and which we've already done for two years in a row, we cover the student elections. We do, and then we also look at individual projects that the committee wants to bring up. So before Christmas, we filmed our own version of Taskmaster, where we did an entire hour-long show in front of an audience of over 150 people, which was a lot of fun. But that simply just come from being one of the committee members' ideas, and we worked to make it happen.
2: We've got Varsity just Mm -hmm. around the corner, which is such a huge sporting event. How do you coordinate such a big team, and how do you choose where you're gonna send teams as
11: TV we can't get to all the events it, there's a lot of equipment we have to bring rounds last year I was in charge of driving the van which was a lot of fun but to set up for one stream we have a massive sort of streaming computer we need a few sh- cameras a few different screens an entire sound desk and a team to go with that so we sort of pick and choose the events that we think are going to get the most viewers so, for example, last year we did the boxing, which is a set capacity of about eight or 900. And because of that, it was a sellout event. Loads of people still wanted to watch it. So we were getting thousands of people watching our online stream. But press and radio, or Forge Press and radio, tend to cover a lot more of the events just because they don't need half as much equipment as us.
2: You mentioned about the streaming. Where does it actually go? And also, how do you physically stream an event?
11: So it all goes up on Forge TV's YouTube channel, uh, which we advertise the links to whatever sport we're uh, streaming earlier that day, and hopefully the sports clubs do as well. We usually get the links sorted about 24 hours before. In actual terms to like stream something, Forge has all the equipment that we need. It's built up over years and years sort of buying it, upgrading it, and we just transport it around. And we've got a team who know how to do it basically just through practicing and yeah, we get the streams going up and live and hopefully they're they're somewhat professional quality. (laughs) And how do
2: you manage? You mentioned you've got a huge team of volunteers there. How do you make sure they're kind of up to scratch? when it comes to actually, you know, game days and mm-hmm. things like that, people who might be coming to Forge for the first time ever and might not have had any experience in broadcasting whatsoever.
11: So part of Forge's role, sort of not just in varsity across the whole year, is training up people and giving people new skills, especially those sort of outside the journalism department where they might not know anything about cameras or filming to come in with. We make sure that everyone's sort of trained up in their exact roles and we, we give them their roles. So say for example, some people might be camera people and then we'll train them up how to use a broadcast camera. Others might go for being on the sound desk and then they'll usually receive a bit more like specialist training, just because it's a bit of a complicated role. And then everyone also has my number, and they'll also have the head of sports number, Bella, who's an amazing second year that helps us out. They can basically ask us questions whenever they want. Going up, last year I had quite a few voice notes sending out a few days before the events with people were stressing, but it's not as hard as people think. Once you get to grips with a certain skill, and we will sort of hammer it home to them, people can become masters at it quite quickly.
2: What well, I want to know though, Charlie, <laughs> is, is what's it like in the war room? I mean, you've obviously done this uh, several times, I mean, and, and you were involved last year, but do you have, I'm, I'm keen to know like a big editorial meeting or anything like that, because obviously we have those kind of things when we're doing journalism practice uh, you know, within the department, but what happens at Forge? Lift the curtain for us.
11: It's not sort of one big meeting where we plan the entire varsity. It's so those are little meetings going up to, so like for example on Friday I've got a meeting where we're going to finalise exactly what events we're going to this year and then next week I've got another meeting from that looking at what tech we need to bring then to each event. Uh, I sort of manage it consistently throughout the time and do little bits here and there so I don't get a massive shed load of work to do the week before and then I probably would be snowed under completely.
2: And also tell us a a little bit about what it's like to actually film these events.
11: Personally I love being like right in the middle of events. I got to go on the ice last year at the ice hockey to go and like track people down to interview them. There's an event just before varsity which is a bit of a warm-up where they do the annual darts between the University of Sheffield and Hallam University. That one got a bit rowdy last year (laughs) but I was on the wireless camera so I got to go around and sort of or protect myself against the fans while filming the darts. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult in that remark, but I do also love it at the same time. It gives you that bit of and rush.
2: Your recruitment drive, is it now over? So this will be going out at the start of March. Can people kind of jump in at any point?
11: Officially by the start of March it will be over. We run it for the first three weeks when they come back uh, from the winter break. However there are always dropouts and there are always opportunities. So if anyone ever wants to get involved all they have to do is just drop us a message on Instagram because last year we had people sign up right at the last minute because not some people have commitments where the stuff falls through and then they can't make it to events. So we were bringing in reserves left, right and centre because that's just what you have to do so there's always opportunities if you just drop us a message.
0: In every episode of Journey Wave, we like to have a little Polly Ponder section where Polly, our resident legal and ethical expert, guides us through some of the ethical and legal issues that are cropping up in the world of journalism. This episode, we're looking at employability, how you can be ready, how we help people get ready for the world of journalism. And one of those is the first time you have to go into court and report a court case, Really strange thing. If you're lucky, you don't have a lot of encounters with the legal system throughout your lifetime. But um, a lot of journalism careers do require you going into court. So we thought we'd just talk through now a little um, programme that we're rolling out here at the University of Sheffield called the Moot
1: Court. So, Polly, what is a moot court? So a moot court is a pretend courtroom. And we have one at the university in the law department and what the law department use it for is um, to teach their students how to put together arguments and how to stand up and address a jury or a judge we had some feedback from students who said that they didn't feel prepared to go down to the criminal courts in sheffield and sit in them and listen and take notes they felt it was quite scary quite intimidating. Obviously, you've got members of the public there. You've got families there who were involved in the cases. Um, You've got defendants. You've got, you know, all kinds of people milling around. And it's quite frightening for students, really, to step into that environment. Last January we decided that we were gonna run a mock trial. So we employed actors to play the parts of key characters and we used a script which was based on a real life court case that I covered some years ago. I used to be a court reporter at the Sheffield Star and we basically acted out a play of a mock court case and the students sat and listened. We included graphic information of the nature that you'd hear in court because the whole idea is to prepare the students for what they might hear in the courtroom. And we used wigs and gowns, which the actors wore, to act out this court case. And we had some fantastic actors. They were absolutely brilliant. One of the actors, Lucy, uh, has a, she's a professional actress. She's appeared in Coronation Street. She was in the Full Monty TV series. And they came along and they acted out this script for us to give the students an idea of what it's like to sit in a criminal
7: trial.
0: Students studying the journalism degrees here, they they have to... Pass legal exams, have to pass the legal test. Yes. Congratulations, those who've done that. Um, And they also have to complete a court reporting module if that's the path they're pursuing through their degree. So this isn't something you can avoid. <laughs> so how does this process, how does going and doing this in a in a mock-up, how does it help them to be ready for
1: what they might have to do in their job? It's a really good question because court's quite a weird environment. It's very, very serious. You know, you've got people being sent to prison. The judges are extremely stern. They're very strict. It's quite frightening. It's quite intimidating. And as a young journalist, you know, your your news editor might say, oh, you know, go down to court, there's a murder trial starting today, I want you to send me 500 words by lunchtime or whatever. Um, And the way that we did it was I think the moot court enables the students to hear the graphic detail that they might hear. They didn't actually take notes. They just sat and listened to the performance. And then we had a conversation afterwards about how did you find it? You know, what did you think of the material that you heard? Did you find it upsetting? Um, Lisa Bradley, who helped me create the play came up with some um, sort of top tips for resilience really about how to look after yourself if you felt upset by anything you'd heard. And, we, and you know, researchers found that young people these days do find this t- listening to this type of material harder mm. than um, perhaps young reporters mm. did back in the day.
0: And it was a very difficult case that you were having to, to hear. It was a rape trial. It was. And so part of what um, the students are witnessing is somebody very emotional, who is accusing somebody of terrible crime being cross-examined. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in court, um, the evidence has to be tested to a very high standard because obviously if you are charged with rape, then you are if you are convicted, you're going to go to prison for that. The jury has to be sure beyond doubt that the person is guilty and that they've convicted that offence. And so the way that the courts prove that is by testing the evidence. So the witness recalled her account of what happened and then the defence barrister will cross-examine and say, are you sure you're not lying? Are you sure this wasn't consensual? Are you sure that you haven't just made this up because you panicked that you might get pregnant? And so obviously we included all of that detail because we wanted to provide the students with a really realistic experience
6: mm.
1: so it's part of of
0: understanding that what goes on in court is not how we deal with information in our private lives or with our friends you know if somebody comes to you with a story like that you're not going to immediately cross examine them no. um, but understanding that that has a that very difficult scene has a role in our
1: justice system. Absolutely, yeah. And the students commented, actually, they said, we were surprised at how clinical it was. Mm. It's, it's it, The judges will say at the start of any case like that, put your motions to one side. Mm. You must consider this case on the evidence in front of you. Um, and that's what we told the students to do. Mm. And as journalists, sometimes, you know, we'll use a pen and paper as a bit of a barrier. Mm. You're so busy writing down what's being said in court that actually you kind of don't think about the emotional side of it too much, but it can hit you later. So what were those top tips you shared for how to um, sort of
0: keep your resilience and how to sort of decompress after being in that kind of experience?
1: I think um, it's really important to, you know, if you do feel upset by what you've heard, to speak to people about it. Speak to colleagues, speak to your friends. We encourage the students to speak to each other if they felt upset by what they'd heard. Back in the old days, there were lots of kind of Coping mechanisms going down the pub, having a few drinks with your friends—maybe not, perhaps the healthiest way of coping with mm-hmm. it by drinking lots of alcohol. And you know, reporters have these days gone for counselling, gone for therapy, mm-hmm. talked to people. We know people that covered the Lucy Letby trial uh, in Manchester last mm-hmm. year. Some of the journalists there have um, been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress um, and have been very upset by having to report on some of the material that mm-hmm. they heard in court. Mm-hmm.
0: But as you say, the industry has changed. A lot, I think it's fair to say. And you're not going to get the editor yelling at you just to knuckle down and get on with it these days. I think there's a much more of an acceptance that we need to keep talking about how these things affect us and indeed preparing people for them so you don't just just go in cold. So amazing um, project um, and hopefully one that will be in place for many years to come. Thank you.
2: You're listening to the Journo Wave podcast. Now, we don't often get the opportunity to do an and finally on the broadcast. But I think in this instance, on this episode, we do. Because have either of you two been watching Gladiators?
0: Gladiators. In a glorious burst of nostalgic joy and like some kind of weird lucid dream. Yes. yes. Yeah, it, it is a bit like a
2: fever dream. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, Gladiators, the new uh, revamped version, was filmed in Sheffield. And we have a student in our midst, the wonderful Seb Jones, who actually was a runner on the series. So I could not let this opportunity pass, because when this goes to air, when this is broadcast, it's going to be the final. And Don't I know. thought, why not find out from Seb how he got the Gladiator gig? Ready,
3: So I am uh, Seb Jones. I'm a second year journalism student currently at the uh, the University of Sheffield uh, and I'm here to chat about my experience working on Gladiators.
2: Right. How did it come about because you were a runner yep. and and how did you get involved?
3: I'll be honest, a hopeful email in in short in the long in the long answer. I'd done a runner work before so I'd I've been a freelance runner for for ITV daytime so I worked, worked on Loose Women quite a lot. And then I did a couple of weeks on Steph's pack lunch as well. So I have had previous running experience. Gladiators, I knew was filming in Sheffield. So I just sent a hopeful email to the production company saying, I'm based in Sheffield. So, you know, in terms of logistics and transport, I can get myself there pretty easily. I've got a runner experience and I'm free because I knew vaguely the uh, the filming and, and the recording date. So I'm free that, that time. And literally the day after, then I had a phone call interview. And the day after, that, I sent the contract through and uh, all signed, sealed, and delivered.
2: So sometimes listening to this might be like well what do, does a runner actually do so what was your actual task
3: yeah so um most of the time uh, it is quite fast paced it's quite full-on in terms of gladiators i was positioned with with the gallery so looking after the uh, the director the two exec producers uh, the vision mixer the um commissioner for the bbc was there so quite some quite big names were all sort of under my remit if you like so anything they needed any drinks any food anything else that they might need you know uh, there were long days filming so I ran to the sort of the doctors to get a, a couple of painkillers quite a few times you know when, when they are just looking at screens all day but yeah it's just being on, on hand basically uh, and then when we weren't filming I tended to help out with the audience so there's, there's a lot of time sort of changing the uh, the games uh, f- for those that have seen it so there were a lot of gaps so as part of that they had sort of an entertainment crew for the audience to, to keep them entertained so I I helped out with that so like uh, throwing sweets out and then helping with uh, like a big tennis ball that they were just lobbing from side to side so just just helping with that
2: The thing I wanted to know because I've been uh, watching all of it because I was a huge fan back in the day and now I've got a little boy who's four years old and he absolutely loves it in terms of the actual filming then you mentioned about them uh, setting up different events do they do one event several times or is it done as you see it kind of on, on telly
3: so, it's done as you see it. So, each episode is a day's worth of recording. Uh, so, they'll set up the, f- the first game, they'll film that, you know, probably take, take about an hour or so, and then they'll strip that game, and then they'll construct the next game. So, some wow. some, some games are obviously uh, longer, you know, the wall, there's not that much set up, maybe five minutes between uh, the game, but some games, like The Eliminator, took about 50 minutes to set up. So, there's a lot of waiting in between. They did that for everyone except the two semi finals where they filmed. It was a long day they filmed two semifinals in one long day where they just did the same event four times but two were for each episode if that makes sense so uh, other than that they just did what an episode as, as you see it i tended to start about eight o'clock in the morning and used to finish about half nine in the evening so there were long days but definitely worth it
2: so a couple of questions what was bradley walsh like did you get to meet him
3: I did, yeah. Got foot with him at the uh, the rap party. He was uh, really nice. I I sort of bumped into him a couple of times during filming as well. You know, we we were both actually getting a, a drink together, and he was like, "Oh, what's your name?" So I said, and and he was like, "Oh yeah, people like you are really important." So that that was nice to have that sort of that's what's the word that sort of. uh yeah, 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 with with Bradley Wilson, and that. Um, little positive comment you know saying you are important in 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 what we're trying to build here um so that was really nice uh and yeah got got fought with him at at the wrap party and and he was more than willing
2: and what about the gladiators did you get a chance to be up close and personal to to some of them
3: well i did meet some i sort of crossed them on, on the corridor sort of said hi and, and they said hi back but i'll be honest the closest i got to them in terms of like a period of time was with the cardboard cutouts because <laughs> one of my jobs was to uh just just watch out of the cardboard cutouts make sure they weren't uh, sort of knocked over it was a bit daunting at times you know just 16 big figure cardboard cutouts around you so no, and yes, obviously across them. But in terms of a, a, an interaction, uh, not as such. So, but they they were they were lovely. In fact, some some of the characters even sort of continued their characterisation off the, uh, the full arena character as well. acting. Yeah, then. Oh
2: character. wow! Okay, so are you, have you been surprised with how well it's been received? Because it's had some huge, huge response, huge audience figures. Did you have a kind of sense while you were on on set that it it would be? do
3: as well as it has yeah so the general consensus was that it, it would do well uh, i think it, it was a tv show that that people like like yourself uh back i'm not I'm not so the olden days but back before uh it, it was very popular it, and pe- people enjoyed it and people were just missing that sort of saturday night feel good tv there was a real sort of camaraderie and, and feeling during recording that this was going to be a success what i don't think we anticipated is that how big of success it would be you know over eight million people uh, watch that first episode because sometimes when you're working on a project you, you think it's really good and that, that's what that's what the feeling was a, around gladiators but sometimes you know when, when it does get released it just doesn't quite make it you know people it doesn't quite it's not quite well received but gladiators has, has, has been well received and sort of exceeded expectation as as well so it's a massive credit to the whole crew really like to them you know everyone played the part but yes i think overall we, we knew it w- would work well uh, but not to the extent that, that it has done
2: and so it leaves me just with one question is, would you be involved again, Seb? Uh, have you heard anything about a recommissioning?
3: There's been rumours on the Great Vine for uh, a recommission. Can they tell me in Sheffield? They will have it in Sheffield, yeah, yeah. So the rumours on the Great Vine are that they'll do uh, a Series 2 and 3 together in the summer.
2: Oh. And
3: then and then possibly up to up to Series 5 Uh and then if it does well, then it's going to transfer to America, fingers... Well, from what we've been told. Um, at that point,
2: you're going to be, like, series editor. Well,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. See you, Sheffield, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, you, I mean, would you be involved again, though?
3: Yeah. will be well, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we were told last year that, that we'd have uh, first dibs uh, if we were interested in the jobs again. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be well. We should we should be back for uh, another series and, and hopefully I'll be back again at the arena in the summer.
0: Not Jealous, at all, that sounds like incredible fun, and Seb. it might
2: be coming to back to Sheffield. That's what he oh, that's hinted amazing. at. Yeah, so brilliant. maybe if you're listening to this as a student and want to get involved, Seb's your man. Seb's your man. Yeah. Seb's your man. Seb's He's Seb's got the contacts. He's got the contacts.
0: Can I have a go on the uh, the pu- the pugil stick thing? Is that where you smack people over the
2: head? Yeah, Jewel. I think you'd be very good at. Jewel. Yeah, I
0: think I'd be quite good at. Jewel, what would you be,
2: What would your gladiator name
0: be? Oh, what would my gladiator name be? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. Something like. Mine would be Fox. Fox. Ginger Fox. I was thinking something more like sloth. (laughs) Yes.
2: Or (laughs) static or something, you know? (laughs) But honestly, it sounds amazing, fun, doesn't it, to be part of? Now, talking of being part of something, if you want to be part of the Journal Wave podcast, please get in touch with us. Uh, You can email us at journalwave at sheffield.ac.uk. We love to hear uh, your thoughts, your ideas. Um, And if you want to be part of it, please, we really, really do welcome you with open arms. Uh, yeah and follow us on socials
0: as well so we're journey wave pod on twitter yep. x and on instagram instagram
1: as well. yep. yeah
0: give us a
2: retweet give please. us a retweet yeah. and also if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast wherever you might be in the world please give us a little review a rate uh, and a little comment because it means other people can find us as well absolutely yeah okay so only one thing left Do the Do journey wave